Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, TJ Van Toll, and with me on the panel, I have Paige Niedringhaus. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is actually a React Roundup returning champion. Uh, we have <laughs> even Lavery here. Ian, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, so why don't you start, um, you know, for people, I, I think it's show, we were looking back, is the show was about a year ago. We'll have to look up the episode number and toss it in the show notes, but it's been a while. So why don't you tell people you know, who you are, what you do, your background, why you're famous, all those, those <laughs> sorts of things. Yeah, so I work for a uh, speech recognition company called Pico Voice, and we're a uh, developer-focused company that tries to our developers all over on any platform to have to bring voice to their platform. So we have a whole variety of different products that cover speech to text, voice activation, wake word, all that. And we just want everybody to have voice on their platform. Besides that, I'm a, uh, I do like interactive media art and I play bass in a couple bands. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Not just one band, but multiple bands. <laughs> yeah, I'm an overachiever, I guess. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use that I've used through freelancing through most of my career as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. Well, cool. So Pico Voice looks interesting. I remember us talking about it last time, but Maybe you can get an overview of like how it works. Like if I if I use Pico Voice, what am I what am I getting? Am I getting a service that I can send like audio to, and it comes back with the words? Like what are, what other features? Maybe you could give us like the the rundown of everything it does, everything you do. Yeah. So the big thing with us is, and our sort of uh, thing that sets us apart from pretty much every other <laughs> voice service is that we're entirely on device. And so there is no there is no service. There's no cloud API that you're calling to mm -hmm. send your audio to, which I mean, look, look around. That's pretty much every single voice thing is just an API. So we're one of the only ones out there that is actually giving you the ability to hold on to your audio data and your user's audio data and process it on the device and return. Again, we have like a variety of products. So we have like wake word detection where it's just like hey siri and okay google it's just all it's doing is sitting there processing frames of audio waiting for you to say the thing and then when it wakes up it does the thing that you you tell it to do but we also have voice activity detection and which just basically peaks when it hears somebody talking and obviously speech to text everyone wants speech to text so auto transcription of uh voice yeah it's very cool it's it's also like one of those problems that i feel like is it's becoming more commonplace we have smart devices in our house our phones can listen to wake words and that sort of thing but i still i'm still sort of fascinated by the underlying technology uh, maybe you could just start give us like the world's simplest rundown of like how does how does it actually work on the back end like do you just have a whole bunch of like low level c code that looks for patterns in audio data or like i don't know we don't yeah, need to go so on for like two hours but i'm just 
<laughs> no, it's a good question. So, I mean, basically, it's deep learning, right? It's uh, it's it's machine learning. So we teach through machine learning. We teach a machine a statistical model of what a word sounds like or what a series of sounds sounds like. So we basically take audio in our actual when we're teaching our <laughs> our machine. All we're doing is sending it frames of audio that that are labeled, and we get it to remember them and like form a little statistical pattern. And then it for something like wake word, it's just like, hey, remember this pattern of three things? Just remember that and say, hey, I think I saw it. <laughs> so it's a lot more complicated when you get into speech to text because not only are you teaching it every sound in the language, mm-hmm. but you're also teaching it every word in the language. <laughs> Because then you're dealing with audio and writing, which are different things. I think people think language is a combination of those things, but really they're they're two entirely separate things. They're like that there's the series of sounds you make with your mouth that mm-hmm. other people understand, and then there's the symbols you write them down with and the grammar and punctuation and everything mm-hmm. that you put into the written form. And they're, they're different, so we actually have to treat them differently. But I, you'll see a lot of the big cloud providers out there, the reason they got it so right so fast is because they had such large machines in the cloud in order to do this. So it was sort of like it outpaced the actual progress of voice recognition. Yeah. And now everything's kind of caught up and we can actually do it on device, which is a big win because to be honest, we were like boiling the ocean for like <laughs> a while doing speech to text. <laughs> and now we can do it on like a microcontroller. So so if you're using something like Pico Voice, is it is it something that you as a user have to train the models or are the models already there? It's trained, it knows you're speaking Mm. English or it knows you're speaking Spanish and it will just, it should be smart enough to be able to take that, that audio and translate it into the correct written words. Right. So like for speech to text, for instance, we basically just have a general language model. You just give it, we, we offer um, eight different languages and you just give it the language you want and it will understand that language. But we actually use this thing called transfer learning and we have a, a website, um, Pico Voice Console, where you can basically, we have sort of a general model, but mm-hmm. then you sort of do train it yourself because for something like WakeWord, we have a model that understands a bunch of sounds in whatever language you give it, but then you want it to represent a certain series of sounds like, okay, Google. So you literally type that in to our console and hit train, and then it will pop out a model that understands that. So that's that's sort of the when we say you train it, it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, you have to go out and gather 4000 recordings of this word and, and you know, submit it to something and watch statistics go and decide. No, no, it's just like we are. We did the hard work. I was going to say, because by saying that you're sort of implying that you got went out and got 4000 recordings <laughs> of these different words, right? Or like, no, no. So the, the thing is, is again, we've we've trained the general model, so it understands the sounds we need it to understand. Mm-hmm. You just tell us which sounds you want us you want to form your wake word, and we pop yeah. out a model that's that's that just waits for those series of sounds. Interesting, because cool. I would have I would have guessed that your building of the model was to get a bunch of people to say like it almost seems it kind of breaks my mind a little bit that it's possible, <laughs> right? That you can well, that, sort of generalize. That was the old style. The the like. So I worked I worked at a speech recognition company 
right out of uh, college. And what we did, we had one of the early, early wakeboard engines. Mm-hmm. And what we would do is we'd, it was all B2B, the company. We basically enter a contract with the company that says, hey, we're going to go out and gather 4,000 recordings of this wake word and we're going to train it and then deliver you the model. And it was very formal. And that was basically state of the art at the time. But mm-hmm. we're actually a bit past that now because we're able to use this concept of transfer learning to take a general model and just kind of point it in the right direction. So we no longer need to do all that, all that pounding the pavement, <laughs> asking for people to say a wake word, because that, that was a lot of work. And it, it took months, like every time somebody <laughs> signed a contract. And I know because I was running the uh, crowdsourcing technology for that company. Mm-hmm. So I would have to post these jobs and these <laughs> these people would record it on their on their like mobile device and I'd have to yeah. go through all the recordings and like, you know, Filter some people jobs. would just yeah, some people would just, you know, speak their <laughs> manifesto into the phone and I'd have to be like, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so one one thing that I'm curious about is I'm assuming that when you would do these these wake word gatherings you would have to take into account accents because I know that that is something that every automated assistant struggles mm-hmm. with is English accents, Scottish accents, Caribbean accents, all speaking English, but all slightly differently. So is Pico voice able to account for that and be able to interpret, you know, a deep Southern accent <laughs> versus maybe a a New York Boston accent? <laughs> yeah, so I mean that that's still a challenge for us, but I think the reason we're a bit more resilient to it is because we've trained this general model on like geez, like 10,000, 100,000 hours of speech. It's heard all the accents. <laughs> not not all the accents, but it's heard it's a heard a lot of variation. <laughs> So it tends to be a bit more resilient. When when I was doing the old style where we would get people to record, that was actually a lot less resilient to it because we only had like, you know, 300 participants uh, mm-hmm. recording these wake words. And how much variety are you going to get between 300 people? Like not enough. But right. when we train these general models, we have like tens of thousands of different speakers, maybe mm-hmm. more. So we tend to be a lot more sensitive to the variations but but it it is it is definitely a challenge because even us as humans if you hear like a really thick accent that you're not used to it can be confusing like (laughs) (laughs) like we're we're not perfect either with it so it's 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 a challenge so i think you so you added multiple language support i believe that's new or at least newish from the Mm -hmm. the last time we talked so does that that like more generalized ability make that easier or i imagine there's still all sorts of challenges that go into that yeah so when you when you actually work with a totally different language that's basically starting over because accents is one thing you've already taught it the series of sounds in the language and you're just looking for a combination of those sounds and those symbols but when you move into a new language there's a new set of symbols and there's a new set of sounds you know there's there's Everybody has an inventory. We call it a phonemic inventory. And it's a basically a series of sounds that you hear in the language. And every language has a different phonemic inventory. And we need to train the, the machine to understand only that inventory of sounds. 
and all the symbols that go into that. So when we start a new language, we have to do it completely from scratch. We have to get new data in that language. We need to get new text in that language. And we need to do our best to even understand the language enough to work with it because we need to listen to these recordings. We need to normalize the text we get and make sure it's not like full of symbols and stuff, but understand it enough so that it, it we actually don't confuse the machine learning process. And that, that, that can be a real challenge. It's a lot of work, actually. <laughs> I, so it's fascinating. Does that mean like when you kick off a new language, I feel like you almost need to have like a professional linguist on staff for mm-hmm almost each of these languages, right? Like, or do you like bring on somebody who's like, you know, a world-class, I don't know, a Spanish linguist to help? Or like, like how much of it are you able, like as a software developer to sort of test on your own? And how much do you have to rely on a native speaker as the only person that can actually figure some of these things out? Yeah, so we do have like, basically our like machine learning team, they, they do have to be part linguist. Like, Because if you've studied languages, you at least understand the components. And basically, every language is just a combination of the components. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they have a lot of expertise in that field to understand when they approach a new language, how it works. But then that's not enough. So usually what we'll do is we'll get somebody, well, we will get a native speaker. Usually we'll basically hire somebody on like a contract to work with us to help with the language because you do need that expertise. Like the fact is even somebody who's like a language expert, if they sit down to an entirely new language, they're not going to be able to understand it enough to do the work that needs to be done to actually Mm -hmm. get it to a like production ready state. So we often do need to get a native speaker in there to provide their input. And that will really, uh, speed the process along we we tried to do it without experts a couple times and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> you you just don't get the, the the performance and you spend a lot more time you you waste a lot more time i should say <laughs> sure i mean that makes a lot of sense when you think about getting expertise in anything else mm-hmm. it's a lot it it will almost undoubtedly go much quicker if you have somebody who is proficient in whatever it is that you're trying to do yeah. Well, they, they can recognize mistakes in grammar and stuff, the stuff that's mm-hmm. really hard to pick up as a non-native speaker. Yes. So what languages do you currently offer Pico Voice for? So we have, so I believe last year we announced we had uh, Spanish, French, German, English. Mm-hmm. And then this year we added four new languages. We added Japanese, Korean, Portuguese, and Italian. Ooh, yeah. those are some tough ones. <laughs> yeah, well, especially like when you get into the written forms of uh, Korean and Japanese, they become mm-hmm. uh, very challenging. <laughs> like, you know, we in English, we have 26 characters. Japanese has two alphabets of 56 and then an additional alphabet of tens of thousands. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, so that the, the text representation of that is really difficult. The actual the actual spoken version of Japanese is a mm-hmm. lot easier than English because Japanese has 56 sounds and they all map to a combination of characters. English mapping a combination of characters to the sound is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
turns out I mean, we made some mistakes early on and we didn't really fix them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just thinking about the amount of spellings that we have for the same sounding word based yeah. on context, I cannot even imagine <laughs> how you would be able to figure that out for a transcript. And it's all exceptions in English. It's like, oh yeah, it's this, unless <laughs> this, or this, unless this, and like, here's three different reasons why this rule is wrong and yeah you see this when you when you have like younger kids that are starting to write and you look mm. at their writing because they start they don't know the exceptions yet right they but they can right. speak it because yeah. they they know so you get like they it's words you don't even think about too because we internalize them so quickly because mm. one of my kids spelled because wrong and right. then you're like oh well because it's pretty easy but then you think about it for like a half a second and you realize like actually the word because makes absolutely no sense like right. I can't. <laughs> like if you try and explain it you suddenly find yourself going ah oh, just is what it is <laughs> yes <laughs> just, memorize it. just memorize it yep i mean that's really fantastic that you have taken on and it sounds like gotten through some very difficult dialects what are what are future future languages that you hope to be able to process as well Ooh, so we're going yeah <laughs> so, exactly so we're going to try next year we're going to double our language count again i think and we're going to do going to do chinese vietnamese what else uh, dutch i believe russian polish i think yeah i i can't remember all of them but you basically need to be like a fully inclusive speech recognition company you basically need like a bare minimum of like 50 languages so like we're going to get to like 20 of the most popular and hold there for a while mm -hmm. is, is kind of our, our plan because that covers a lot of people like mm -hmm. that covers the majority of people because because even in the the cases where the people might not speak the language they usually are like oh but i speak this what this more popular language but to really get up there like i mean you do oh. need to get to like 50 or something and i mean google has like 150 so <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's kind of a never-ending thing for us yeah how about hindi that's a big one. Oh yeah that that's actually one of the other ones uh we're gonna do next year yeah nice Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question. And then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and 
and make friends and and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. So I, uh, so I guess uh, I, I got to ask one last question. Are there any languages like you've come to hate, like because it was like very difficult or like, come to love? like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny how much you can hate your, your own language. <laughs> no, actually, like seriously, English is the only like I look at all other languages we've done and I'm like, these are so much easier. Like, mm -hmm. like English is actually, it's just, it came out of a, a mess of languages. It was a lot of combinations that happened over time. And a lot of them happened during like, you know, a lot of English developed during like illiteracy and stuff. <laughs> so there's like really interesting examples you can find of like stuff where it's just like, oh yeah, this was just a mistake that happened, <laughs> you know, 200 years ago that they kept in. Or actually, I have a, a fun fact. The word dumb. So you, you look at that, you're like, why does it have a B at the end? That uh, apparently was, there was a time where the uh, the like ruling class of England was trying to make it harder to write English so that <laughs> the peasantry couldn't like pick it up. And they literally just added some letters to the language uh, here or there. Oh. And, and we're like, this is the proper way to write it. And then just to confuse people. And we literally still have that to, to this day. So <laughs> mm. English is so weird. <laughs> so that's why knife has a K in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like st stuff like that. I, I think, I think they were just messing with us and now we're just like, we have to <laughs> live with it. With it. <laughs> so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the like actual web development, like the side where you might actually use a service like this. Cause yeah. I remember last time we chatted a little bit too about common use cases, right? So mm -hmm. maybe we could just start with an overview, like how we have a lot of web developers listen to this show. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, like, I guess, A, what would using something like this look like? Like, how do you actually get it in an app? And mm -hmm. B, I guess, like, what are some common, like, use cases that you see for, for use on the web as well? Right. So one of the big things is obviously on the web, people are a lot more comfortable calling, like, an API. And that is what they've come to expect for uh, speech recognition and stuff. But we're actually um, bringing the, we're actually kind of bringing back the power of the browser itself. Um, so the, I mean, the browser is a virtual environment that can run whatever you want. And we actually can run entirely in the browser on the client side. And that's, that's big because I mean, in the, these days we're getting a lot of uh, progressive web apps and the sort of web app is a big thing, especially with like SaaS companies and stuff. So if you're running like a SaaS company and you, you want to integrate like voice into your console or something, having it on the client side is, is, I mean, it, it, it lowers the latency. It gives you a lot more direct control of what happens, uh, when you get voice. And it means you can be robust to connection issues, which like that, that, you know, that's a huge thing. Not everyone has a, amazing internet and you don't want to have to be making calls out to an API and just hoping it comes back for your feature to work. This will just work. And also on top of all that, it's it's less expensive because we're not 
calling an API. We're not depending on cloud infrastructure. So mm-hmm. you're actually, if, if you're a developer and you integrate Pika Voice into your web app, your client is going to be using their machine to do the processing. So I think it's just a win-win situation for that. Yeah, I feel it's especially important considering it's audio too. So like bandwidth mm-hmm. is like you're, you're not just shipping off like a couple of things in a query string to some service. You're like no. uploading audio. Yeah, uh, megabytes is, of audio. <laughs> yeah. So the, the bandwidth consideration is amplified significantly. Yeah. No, and, and it, it makes everything that that actually allows for like something like real time audio. Uh, real time audio is very challenging to do for an API because you basically need to stream it to the service and have mm-hmm. responses being streamed back. That's that's really expensive. That's like a constant bandwidth issue. But when you're doing real-time audio and it's all running in your browser on the client side, it's it's snappy and you can do uh, things that require timing. And yeah. Very cool. And I know, I, I think I remember from last time too, that because one of the ways you keep it snappy is it's not JavaScript code running in the browser, right? It's your, well, I don't remember your exact tech stack, but I know you have some sort of fancy way of, of doing that. Uh, maybe you could walk people through some of the magic and challenges of how that works. Yeah. So our core code is in like C because we it, we were trying to keep it as efficient and snappy as possible. Now, C code. And when you think of C code next to React, you're like, how does this even work? Like, <laughs> like wait, can these two ever talk? Well, it turns mm-hmm. out they can with Wasm. And what we do is we compile basically all our core code into a Wasm binary blob. And then we ship that with our like NPM package. So when you, when you NPM install Pico Voice, part of the, part of what's going to be shipped with your website is our Wasm blob. And basically Wasm's really cool because it basically just wraps your native code in JavaScript and then allows you to basically uh, attach to it like any sort of dynamic library. Say, here's the functions I want to call. Here's the data I'm going to put into it. And then you just call it like you would any any other library. It's a little trickier to work with because you're dealing with... I mean, JavaScript, obviously, one of the things we're pretty aware of, um, and I'm sure the listeners of your show are aware of, is JavaScript is like, eh, types, whatever. <laughs> even typescript is like is like yeah types but like you know a number is a number right well right. c is like what how many bits is your number like like it yeah. needs to know uh so you you start to need to think about that when you work with wasm you start to need to think about okay is this a 32-bit int going in here then you need to start to think of okay you, you need to start to think of memory like okay i need to have a pointer <laughs> I need to pass in a pointer here to get something back and then convert that pointer to like a JavaScript object of some sort. Yeah. So it's it's challenging to work with, but once you get it working, it's extremely powerful because then we can ship something that's an incredibly complex piece of code and just put basically a, a slim interface of JavaScript around it. And then any JavaScript developer can just call is just talking to it like it's JavaScript. They don't need to worry about the Wasm. That was our problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's challenging to work with, but I do, if if anybody's thinking of, has a challenging problem that requires like, the efficiency of C, 
uh, don't be afraid of it. It's not that it's not that hard. And it is pretty amazing when you start working with it, actually. Okay, so it works or there there is an NPM package if you want to use JavaScript with it. But what if you are a Python developer or maybe you're working with a microcontroller like Arduino? Is there mm-hmm. are there options for other other languages like that? Yeah. So, I mean, we support, since we're a developer-focused company, uh, we're pretty obsessed with our SDKs. So I think for our, our two most popular products, I think we have like 20 SDKs for each one, and it covers all all the favorites. And we even have, you know, we have three, di- no, we have four different web SDKs. We have uh, vanilla JavaScript, but mm-hmm. we also have React Angular and Vue. So it allows, we basically want it to be like, use it in your favorite environment. Like, use it like you use anything else in your your stack. Like, we don't want to (laughs) just disturb that, basically. Right. That's awesome. So what are some of the use cases that you've seen people employing it for recently? So we've seen, so we've actually come to some interesting ones lately. Um, So Auto content moderation is a big one right now. So let's say you're Minecraft or something, <laughs> or you're, <laughs> I guess, let's go, let's go Fortnite and you have open audio streams on mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of players and you're trying to moderate all that. Mm. That's, that's very difficult. And it turns out a lot of big companies out there are using auto moderation, which basically takes that audio and is basically looking for key phrases mm-hmm. <laughs> let's yeah. call them <laughs> yeah. with some air quotes there yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just looking to, to flag them and then and then they'll usually have you know a person go in and inspect the actual mm-hmm. uh, content of it and, and decide whether it was you know a mistake or whether it is actually like a bannable offense yeah so that that's actually a new exciting one also like call centers it turns mm-hmm. out Again, we've got open phone lines, like it, like a whole building full of them. And we're trying to understand, you know, what's being said on all these different calls. And you can't have people listening to all that audio. So a lot of big call center companies need some sort of automated system to take in all the audio from all their phones and do something with it. So um, we're, we're encountering more use cases like that lately, actually. Those are both really fascinating. I, it's funny, it, uh, the content moderation one really resonated with me because I play a, I don't know, I, my, my kids are 11, so they're right mm-hmm. at that impressionable age, but they're also right in the age where they want to play like games that are the sort where they have open audio. Right. So we, there's a game we play that's like 5v5, so five people on each team, and it has it has a way for you to do audio communication. And the very first thing I did was make sure to shut that off, <laughs> like <laughs> disable it because like I'm a professional internet user. And yeah. I, that's the first thing I learned is I don't trust anybody. I, I wouldn't even want to hear it myself, much less my kids though. <laughs> I, I know it, it like brings me back to, to like, like when I was like, you know, 11 or 12, like the internet was like a new exciting thing. And I just would like, I remember going to like, I like was like really into like going to like like different video game websites and stuff. And then there was mm-hmm. these just these chat rooms about video games you could go mm-hmm. to. And it was literally just like a room with like everybody their microphones are on and it just start talking <laughs> and it was like 
when I think of that now, I'm like, oh my God, that's <laughs> frightening. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact is, is, is we can, we can keep those spaces safe with these sorts of tools uh, because then the ne'er do wells out there <laughs> at least get banned <laughs> when they're, when they're being inappropriate or whatever. Oh, God. Well, one thing that you put in the show notes today that I would really like to hear more about is a new speech to text engine or engines, Cheetah and Leopard. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about those. Yeah. So I think, yeah, last time we spoke, we actually didn't have a publicly available speech to text engine. And we were using our speech to intent engine, which was called Rhino, which was basically like you basically, yeah, uh, the 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 uh, founder of the company is pretty pretty obsessed with uh, animals. So um, <laughs> Rhino basically, you teach it a small grammar, and then it would understand that grammar, which is great for mm-hmm. stuff like you know controlling a coffee maker or like you know it, there's only so many functions it needs to understand. Yeah. But we decided to kind of go that extra mile and bring speech to text to devices and. Traditionally, language models are in the gigabyte realm of size. And we actually got mm-hmm. ours down to 20 megabytes uh, for language. And that's sort of the big win for this is like we can run on anything that can take 20 megabytes of memory or of storage. And so Leopard and Cheetah are actually two, two different sides of the same coin. So Leopard is a speech-to-text engine that takes in a set amount of audio, so like mm-hmm. an audio file or something, and gives you a transcription of that. And that's a lot, that's an easier problem because you can basically say, okay, this is all the audio I'm going to get, so I'm going to look right. forward, I'm going to look back, I'm going to make inferences based on the future and the past and give you a response. But then Cheetah, of course, because it's the fast one, it goes, it's real time. So it has zero look ahead, which mm-hmm. means it will take in every frame of audio that you give it and it will return what it thinks is being said. Wow. So they're both speech to text engines, but they just work at different use cases. So, I mean, audio files, the accuracy is much better, but of course you sacrifice the sort of real time effect. Yeah. So 20 megs is impressive, but is that still like small enough for a browser to use? Like, does a, does a user have to download that mm. to use it in their web app? So that was a challenge we recently, so we recently did the web SDKs for Cheetah and Leopard. And we actually had to kind of redesign our whole system of delivering language to the, the browser to handle this. So yes, 20 megabytes is a lot, but we actually separate the language model from the package. So basically, we let the developer decide how that's delivered to the user. But we also made it part of our system that it could be either a base 64 representation that you can bake into your website if you just want it to always be there. Or if you want to be kind of smarter about it, what you can do is put it in your public folder and have it downloaded to the user's browser on first load and then cached in local storage for the rest of the time so that the next so the very first load yeah it'll be a 20 megabyte load but the second load will be instant because they Mm -hmm. already have the language model yeah it's a pretty neat system because i think like it's it's the nature of the beast because i mean it's it's in a way it's kind of more of like a native app feature and native apps are downloading like (laughs) gigs at times uh of stuff and so it's like a feature that helps the web sort of compete with that so i think it makes sense and yeah. I think like 
honestly, that I think that's the best. That the solution is kind of clever because that's kind of all you can do because you can't you can't magically get it to the user ahead of time like through an app no. store or something. So and, and a developer, if they're if they want to be clever about it, they can they can stream it from their public folder asynchronously on the first load so that it's just like by the time the user wants to activate the voice feature, it's already downloaded. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just the sort of thing you need to you need to handle these sorts of ways. Because, you know, we were working with a company recently that they do this all the time in their mobile apps. Mm-hmm. They'll, their mobile app actually downloads like stuff all the time to keep their their app working. And it does it all asynchronously, like when you open up the app and, you know, the user's none the wiser, but behind the scenes, there's all this stuff. So when when you look up, why is this app using 3.6 gigabytes when I downloaded it, it was only 500 megabytes. Yeah. That's because right. they only delivered like the core code and the rest of it was downloaded later on. Yeah. So it's 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 just how it's just how you you do stuff now mm-hmm. is just keep keep the package size small but then just deliver the features kind of as they're being used yeah i know ios and android even have like apis built in to help you do that sort of mm-hmm. thing because it's it's such a common model yeah i i think all the big companies want that you know if you're spotify you you just you got to have the features you don't want people to to see 3.6 gigabytes when they go to download your app <laughs> there's like a sticker shock thing yep. that happens so it's kind of a, a funny thing because it ends up being that it's like it, it, it's like when you book like an airbnb and there's all these extra expenses that like get reported later or like a, a <laughs> or a flight where you get like the info later it's sort of like that it's like reduce the sticker shock and then oh, we'll show you the expenses after <laughs> so you also have an article in uh in here about writing a pr- podcast trips at transcription server which i'm struggling mm-hmm. to pronounce for some reason <laughs> which is a fascinating idea that i think like i know when we were talking before the show too we've done transcriptions on videos i, I mm-hmm. i'm sure there's other people that are call centers is another example right mm-hmm. things that you want to transcribe so does that use che- cheater leopard or how, how does that how does that work yeah, so it uses Leopard because we actually have the ability to get a whole file, like a hour-long podcast, and transcribe it from start to finish. And yeah, the reason I kind of came up with that as as an idea to sort of demo our technology is like I know I've listened to podcasts for years, and like it's so often on a long-running show. I'm sure on, on this show you get the uh, hey, have we talked about that? Did we talk about this? I feel like we <laughs> talked about this, and having show notes to go back to is probably a really helpful thing or 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 like i was thinking of doing a next phase of the article where i actually make a podcast like searchable so i i made it transcribable and basically stored the like text representation but once you have the text representation you can make it searchable and then you can start being like oh when did i say this and then it will just pop up the episode you set it in so it, it was just kind of kind of an idea i came up with because i i i see a lot of people using leopard on a server to basically hook into an event that's happening somewhere whether it be an rrs feed rss feed that's like updated or Mm -hmm. you know uh yeah like a new audio file or video is uploaded and it hooks into that event it runs it through leopard and then stores it in a database i thought that was like kind of a universal use case like it's just so it seems like a fundamental part of the web to like have something like that in a server. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would be so useful and it would, it would help 
I think everybody from people who just want to re reread part of a podcast, mm. if they're looking for something specific, instead of having to just kind of hop through trying to figure out where it was that that useful bit of information was. Well, and and you can, you can think too, like you can deliver these, like, let's say you attach it to your podcast, you can like deliver these transcripts along with your podcast, because if you mm -hmm. have the server hook in transcribe it and then deliver the transcript along with the podcast suddenly you've got a follow along with the transcript uh, uh podcast yeah. so these sorts of things are useful for like auto captioning like videos or audio as well for like accessibility it's accessible it's also like uh marketing people like it for seo purposes yep. too because mm -hmm. you know audio google can index audio but if That's you have right. a transcription it absolutely can yeah 100 percent correct yeah search engines aren't very good at indexing audio so <laughs> you just have to plaster the text somewhere <laughs> can, can you recognize different speakers because that's the other thing about a transcript mm -hmm. right is knowing who's talking do you do you have the ability internally even if you don't know names obviously but can you say like this is voice one voice two yeah, yeah so actually we're working right now on a uh i'll give you guys the scoop um, we're working right now on a speaker identification system that will basically be able to tell people apart because yeah, yeah. The, when, when you think of something like doing like, like a zoom meeting, if you want like to have meeting notes, yeah, it would be really useful to have like, this came from this person, this came from this person, this came from this person and you can right. use different, I mean, zoom obviously has the ability to know where the audio is coming from so it can kind mm -hmm. of just label it but if you have a anonymous audio stream with a bunch of different voices that's that's challenging because you don't know you just have to base your assumptions on the character of the voice right who's who's different so that's actually a problem we're working on right now and i mean that's that's useful for not only speaker labeling but also speaker verification so like if we want to voice activate something that only responds to your voice that's also yeah. like another use case for it that would be cool well Eden, this has been a blast is there anything that you wanted to discuss today that we have not gotten to at all mm -hmm. no i think i think we covered we covered a lot here yeah yeah excellent have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right? Where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up 
and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. So that, why don't we move into our picks? And Paige, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So my pick is going to continue the trend that I started last week, which was Star Trek. <laughs> As many of you who are have been listening for a while, I've been on a Star Trek journey through Next Generation and forward. So most recently, I've begun watching Star Trek Lower Decks, which is their animated series. And there's only, I think there's maybe two, maybe three seasons of it. But it is, it is in the style of Rick and Morty. And it is the funniest Star Trek that I've ever seen to the point where I'm actually laughing, which is unusual for anything animated. But it is really good. There's a lot of references to other Star Trek franchises. So if you are familiar with Next Generation or Voyager or Enterprise, they throw in all sorts of little jokes that are related to those characters. So I would definitely recommend it. It's it's as family-friendly as the rest of the Star Trek franchise is. And it's also got a much bigger dose of humor than most of them do. So if you're looking for something that's quick 20, 25-minute episodes, uh, I would definitely say it's a good one. Excellent. I still have not gotten into the Star Trek world. So it's, <laughs> at some point... I've had it recommended several times, but I feel like it's such an, like, you can't like casually wade into it, right? Like you kind of have to, yeah. (laughs) So my pick this week is going to be the Great British Bake Off, which I think was a previous (laughs) pick of yours, Paige. (laughs) I started off watching it because I just wanted to know what it was about, right? Just that sort of thing. (laughs) And then next thing I knew, I had watched a few episodes and I didn't even really understand why. It's but. so it's so comforting that show. Like there's just something so positive and warm about it. <laughs> it's it's strangely compelling. Like I yeah. can't even understand why I ended up watching it, but it's quite good. I think Netflix has like five seasons or so. I mean, I don't know how much I'm gonna watch, but I've it's a good thing to just have on when you're not sure what to do. It's just comforting Mm -hmm. nice to have on in the background so (laughs) i've been sucked into that as well (laughs) that's funny my my wife and i like literally just started watching that like a few weeks ago (laughs) and for the same reason like what why are people talking about this so much and (laughs) yeah now we're like shouting at the screen that that's not a good bake look at the crumb (laughs) on that (laughs) amateur hour yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) excellent ian what picks do you have for us yeah, so I think last time I brought Mandy a really gnarly horror film. So I figure uh, <laughs> back up and maybe do something a, a little different this time and actually go with something uh, tech related. So we've been working with uh, Mixpanel recently, which is an amazing service. It's really helped us because we're trying to add some analytics to our website and our console, but custom analytics that allow us to like basically track like, like, Basically, when somebody enters the website, what they interact with and like how long and like develop our own metrics based on like the code we actually put in the website. Mm -hmm. And Mixpanel is amazing at this. What they basically do is they're just all they do is they say, hey, we're just going to take events 
and we're going to represent them in a whole bunch of different ways. You can filter, you can form funnels, you can show user flow, you can uh, take a user and actually watch where they go on the website and stuff. It's super, super helpful for us. We've actually been, we've had a total crush on them since we started working with their their product because <laughs> mm-hmm. they just, not only is their their UI like so nice to work with, but it's just made our life. We were thinking of building this for, because basically we wanted to add analytics to our website, but Google Analytics and that those sort of general analytics were just not yeah. enough. We needed like mm-hmm. really specific ones. Right. And we were going to build it ourselves. And then we stumbled upon, uh, upon Mixpanel and it was like, oh my God, this saved us like, like they made what we could have made. It would have taken us, we would have had to start a new company to make what they made. And it's just, it's so, it's so helpful. So definitely for any web developer out there that wants to add like custom analytics, Mixpanel is really, really helpful. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Ian, this has been amazing. My last question for you, if people want to follow you, keep up with you, what what are the best, where are the best places to go to do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, let's see. I don't, I don't have like, I don't have like professional socials out there, but I do have, I am on Medium as Ian Lavery. So you can read any articles I put up there. You can follow uh, Pico Voice AI on Twitter and we have a YouTube channel. If you want to check out my bands, yeah, fellow kids in Sleep Circle, check them out. Yeah. No, excellent. That's great. We'll get those in the show notes. And yeah, thanks for joining us today. This is a great chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Cool. All right, everybody. Well, until next week. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.